and welcome to episode number 140 of the Random Thoughts Podcast. That is R-A-N-D-U-M-B thoughts.com online. I am your host, Darren O'Neill, and on today's show, we're going to be covering the January 6th report that just came out of the Senate. It was compiled by two different committees, and of course, the mainstream media is covering this in the way we would expect the mainstream media to be covering this, which is to uh, take something that appears to have been a bipartisan effort and try to push it down the rabbit hole that they want it to go down, which I guess means the mainstream media doesn't really respect the committees that put this together which are the Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee, along with the Rules and Administration Committee. They looked into exactly what happened on January 6th. They looked for the causes. It is a long report, over 100 pages long. And, of course, what the mainstream media is mad about is that it doesn't mention Donald Trump. And it does not refer to the events of that day as an insurrection. Now, that's all you're hearing from the mainstream media. We can give you a couple of quotes from them at the end of all of this. But the question then becomes, why are they so mad about these couple of things when there was a lot of meat to this report? A lot of things that happened leading up to January 6th that are just not being talked about and that's what we're going to be doing on today's episode breaking this down what the different agencies knew why they responded the way they did or in some cases why they didn't respond at all or they responded much too late to really be effective But the reality of this is, according to the report, the Capitol Police Department knew as early as December 21st that people coming to Washington, D.C. for the event planned to bring guns and other weapons. So that gives them at least a few weeks' notice. The Capitol Police uh, said they were aware that protesters were sharing maps of the area of the Capitol online. And they were also discussing the best entry points to get into some of the buildings, also talking about sealing the lawmakers inside, which is a little bit ominous. But one thing that is pretty clear from this report from the Senate is that what happened on January 6th was certainly not a spur of the moment type thing. This was not a bunch of people showed up to listen to Donald Trump talk and then decided to get violent. This was something that was planned. Now, who was actually planning this? has been the subject of a lot of debate. And I don't know if we'll ever know for sure. But again, narratives 
are being pushed in one direction. If you listen to the mainstream media, everything you still read about this, I mean, what you are reading about this January 6th report, of course, calls, calls everybody that went into the Capitol building Trump loyalists or Trump supporters. And we know that's not true. From day one, we knew that wasn't true as there was video evidence that some of the people inside the Capitol building were members of other far left groups. Now, that doesn't remove blame from anybody on the right. But you have to question a media that is pushing one side completely and not leaving open the possibility that, like everything in this world, there is usually, as Paul Harvey used to say, more to the story. The report that the Senate put together is critical of the FBI and of the Department of Homeland Security because neither group published an intelligence briefing warning about any of this. And there's various reasons for that, and we'll get into that in a second. The executive summary says, quote, FBI and Department of Homeland Security officials stressed the difficulty in discerning constitutionally protected free speech versus actionable credible threats of violence. Officials from both the FBI and Department of Homeland Security acknowledged that the intelligence community needs to improve its handling and dissemination of threat information from social media and online message boards. Now, there is a lot to unpack just in these few sentences from the report's executive summary. When it's saying again, quote, FBI and Department of Homeland Security officials stressed the difficulty in uh, discerning constitutionally protected free speech versus actionable, credible threats of violence. I'm not really sure what that means. Because you have the right to free speech. But if you say something like I'm going to commit a violent act against members of Congress. I mean, you're still free to say that, but I would think that would spark a red flag. I don't understand how you separate those two things when you say, well, is it free speech or actionable threats of violence? Well, if somebody said it and it seems like it might be a threat of violence, I would hope that the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security would be able to investigate it. Now, you have to understand, with the freedom of speech, certain things are left open, meaning, you know, you and I could be having an argument, and I could be like, man, you are pissing me off so much, I could kill you. Now, for some people, I mean, they might actually mean they could kill them, but more or less, it's a figure of speech. So I don't know if this line in the report, the executive summary means that the FBI and Department of Homeland Security can't figure out the difference between these things, or they don't know when they should act upon things that might be something that is just a figure of speech. But if it's taken literally, then it should be investigated. 
I don't really know. But the second part of that, which said, again, quote, officials from both the FBI and Department of Homeland Security acknowledge that the intelligence community needs to improve its handling and dissemination of threat information from social media and online message boards. That also scares me a little bit, not even because of the privacy aspect, because, again, if you're posting things publicly on Twitter or Facebook or whatever message board, that is information that may be illegal, you know, threats against the president, whatever, then you know it could be used against you. And that is not a ding on our freedom of speech. That's just part of freedom of speech is that, you know, you may still say things that can be used against you as evidence, for instance, in a criminal trial. But when it says that the Senate now thinks, that the FBI and Department of Homeland Security could improve its handling and dissemination of information from threats on social media or online message boards, I'd be raising my hand saying, well, again, how are you going to determine what is actionable, what is not? And I see a world where the intelligence community becomes overrun with bad information with fake information and this is a big part of the online communities because you don't know where the posts are originating i mean most of the time i think they're getting better and you're being tracked a lot more but the reality is overall they don't know where the posts are originating and it reminds me of two Recent things. One is the VARES database, which is being used to track side effects from the COVID 19 vaccinations, which we've already learned anybody can submit anything, which makes the data very questionable because anybody that wants to can go in and post anything they want. So you could be a drug company thinking, well, I want to push our vaccine, not this other vaccine. And they could hire a bunch of people to go in and provide a bunch of fake side effects for the other company's vaccine. It also reminded me of what happened when the FCC asked the general public, which is this is also a really bad idea. If you're a governmental agency asking the general public to post things to try to guide you upon your way usually not going to end well and it did not when the fcc decided to open up a system which allowed anybody that wanted to give their two cents on the net neutrality subject and of course millions and millions of posts rolled in and we found out that a vast majority of those were fake a lot of them were generated by one guy with a script. So I kind of feel bad for people in the intelligence community if they have to monitor everything going on on the internet and try to figure out is this a legitimate threat or is this an internet troll? And if you think it's a legitimate threat, then you have to try to track the person down and you don't know where in the world somebody is. I mean, a 12-year-old could be sitting in their mom's basement in uh, Belarus 
And how are you going to investigate this? How are you going to track it down? So it is a uh, an interesting conundrum when more and more people, the world as a whole, uses message boards and Facebook and Twitter and other social media sites to communicate. And law enforcement is trying to monitor things to try to get the temperature on what's going to happen. And things could go really poorly in both directions. Either the law enforcement can be totally convinced something bad's going to happen in one place. And maybe that is all just chatter to send law enforcement to one area where there's really something going to be happening in another area. It is a no win situation for a lot of the people involved with policing this kind of stuff. Now, there was obviously a breakdown in what was going on at the Capitol. And, you know, it's interesting to me because you're still hearing things from people about what happened on that day. And I still hear a lot of conspiracy theories like, well, the Capitol Police just opened the door and let them in, which is absolutely not true. I mean, if that was the case, you then have to explain the videos that are out there very clearly showing people with heavy objects pounding on the door of the Capitol on various different doors and windows, breaking windows to get in, breaking doors to get in. If everything was just open and they were like, hey, come on in, then why are we seeing those videos at all? That would seem to disprove that theory. But, you know, conspiracy theorists, they don't pay any attention at all to the facts. They just want to push a narrative, much like the mainstream media does. This is a, a quote from the executive summary also of the report that says, quote, while some CDU officers were issued special protective equipment, the platoons were not authorized to wear the equipment at the beginning of their shift. So, OK, just even starting this one out, some of the officers from the Capitol Police Department had protective equipment at their disposal, but they weren't allowed to wear it at the start. I mean, it was kind of like, you know, if something goes bad, then you can get your protective equipment. That's kind of like saying, you know, well, if she gets pregnant, then put the condom on. It's kind of a bad situation. It's not going to work. If you need protection, it better be there right up front. This report continues, quote, instead, USCP staged equipment on buses near the Capitol. In at least one instance, when the platoon attempted to retrieve the equipment, the bus was locked, leaving the platoon without access to this critical equipment. So the Capitol Police had some riot gear or whatever it was ready in a bus on the property. So if something started going on, they could go get the equipment and then couldn't get the equipment once something happened because uh, somebody locked it and didn't have the key. I mean, of course, I would think it would have to be locked because this is equipment that you wouldn't want the general public just grabbing. So I don't understand exactly what happened here and why whoever was supposed to be able to then authorize and pass this stuff out didn't have a key 
to be able to access the gear. But that seems to be what happened here. They had some gear ready for the police, but no, they couldn't get to it because it was locked. It continues, USCP also failed to provide equipment training to support the CDU platoons. So that's also bad. We've got some equipment, but we're not going to train you how to use it. And did not authorize CDU platoons to use all available less than lethal munitions, which could have enhanced officers' ability to push back rioters. Now, this is where things start making sense when people say, well, the police just let them in, because I don't believe that's the case at all. But I do believe the police officers that were there at the Capitol did pretty much stand down because they didn't have the equipment. They didn't have the manpower. So they just went, okay. I mean, if you're one guy and you don't have any special equipment and you're just standing there, and the door breaks down and a hundred people start coming in. What are you going to do? You could put your hand up, you know, like the old traffic cop and just be like, stop. And then everybody just walks right by you. What can you do? Absolutely nothing. The conspiracy theorists want you to believe that means that the Capitol Police were in on it. I don't believe that for a minute. This report doesn't seem to show that at all. But, you know, again, conspiracy theorists going to do what they do. The report continues, quote, these operational failures were exacerbated by leadership's failure to clearly communicate during the attack. USCP leadership gathered in a command center blocks away from the Capitol building. Two incident commanders identified as responsible for relaying information to frontline officers were forced to engage with rioters during the attack making it difficult for them to relay information. <laughs> really? You think so? They probably had their hands full. As a result, it says communications were chaotic, sporadic, and according to many frontline officers, non-existent. So again, I mean, if you're a cop and you're standing at a door and you're by yourself and you're like, what do I do? And nobody's answering you. Yeah, you probably stand there and just go, all right. Come on in. Do whatever it is you're going to do. I mean, ignore the fact that there are cameras everywhere, which uh, is one of the reasons why so many people have been arrested. And we can give you the number on that in a minute. But uh, the report that was issued also says Capitol Police. Before the event. Said that the threat of violence on January 6th was, quote, remote to improbable. So I would say that whoever was in charge of the Capitol Police Investigations Department, they misread the situation a little bit. And of course, the mainstream media calling all the people Trump supporters. Again, we know that's not the case. I keep hearing the police uh, open the doors. We know that's not the case. We uh, saw a lot of violence going on here. The report also talks about how the D.C. police did not mobilize when they were called. 
Now, I mean, there's a question here. So why, when the D.C. police were called for backup, didn't they come in? Maybe the uh, liberal mayor of uh, Washington, D.C. didn't want to offer help. I'm not really sure. And there's going to have to be some more investigations there. The National Guard did have troops in the area. They appeared to be ready. And a lot of people want to know why the National Guard didn't come in, because by the time the National Guard appeared on the scene, it was like three hours plus after this event had started. So that was a little bit late. By that time, a lot of these, maybe the rioters were just tired already and leaving on their own. But the report says, quote, the members of the Capitol Police Board who were in charge of January 6th did not appear to be fully familiar with the statutory and regulatory requirements for requesting National Guard support. I mean, you would think that might be something that they would have known. You would think that would be part of your job. Well, you know, if something goes bad, here's what we need to do. And the other part of this was that when you call in the National Guard, they don't want to just run into a situation willy nilly. I know that seems like it would be a lot more fun. But when you're dealing with the military and they have a job to do, they usually like to discuss it. They like to get the operations rules, what they should be doing, what they shouldn't be doing, what their goal is. You don't just go, hey, go at it. These people are doing something. We need you to come in. So once you even request the National Guard, it's going to take a little bit of time for them to get a situation report and for them to get their literal, in this case, marching orders. But part of the reason why it seems they weren't quite prepared for what happened on January 6th and why there wasn't maybe a strong enough response or a strong enough show of force to keep this from happening in the first place is the report gives us a pretty big hint when it says, quote, Department of Defense's response to January 6th was informed by criticism it received about its response to the civil unrest after the murder of George Floyd during the summer of 2020. DOD was criticized for its heavy-handed response, particularly flying military helicopters over the protests in the summer of 2020. Department of Defense officials cited lessons learned from the summer of 2020 as guiding its decision-making for January 6th. DOD officials believed it needed, quote, control measures and, quote, rigor before deploying D.C. National Guard personnel, including a clear deployment plan to avoid the appearance of overmilitarization. So, yes, the deployment plan was what I was looking to say right before this. This is what the National Guard needs. If you call them in, they need a deployment plan. But there is admission here now. In the report, that because of what happened with the George Floyd riots, the Department of Defense intentionally 
decided, well, you know, maybe we shouldn't show so much force when a mob of people is trying to break into the Capitol building while the members of Congress are doing the country's business. I don't quite get that, but we are living in an over-woke world where appearances and, oh, somebody's going to criticize me. If criticism's going to keep the Department of Defense, the Capitol Police, the National Guard, our military as a whole from doing their jobs, then we have already lost. Because that is absolutely insane. And a lot of this, again, is because of the way the mainstream media covers stuff. So this report comes out. And nothing in Washington, D.C. can avoid being political in some way, shape, or form. But it appears that this report was done bipartisanly. That the two sides worked together. There were Democrats. There were Republicans. And of course, when you work together and then the far left doesn't get what they want, they cry foul on that because then the I mean, the Democrat senators obviously were just overrun and they weren't allowed to say what the truth was, even though. I mean, the last I checked, we have a, a president and vice president that are a Democrat. We have a House that is a majority Democrat and we have a Senate. That is 50-50, but a tiebreaker going to Vice President Harris, so the Senate Democrat. So, I mean, even the Democrats should start getting a little bit pissed off, I think, at the media for then pointing to them as being unable to do their job or unwilling to do their job. Vanity Fair, I mean, the bastion of rationality says, quote, the Senate report on January 6th has a gaping Trump-sized hole. The report details massive security and intelligence failures in the lead-up to the attack on the Capitol, but thanks to the Republicans involved, it doesn't cast blame where it belongs. Yeah, Vanity Fair. I mean, I'm going to trust your breakdown of anything. You're going to blame Donald Trump? Everybody on January 6th was like, Oh, it was all because he said so during his speech five minutes before. But what this report shows is that even back in December, there were reports of violence possibly happening, reports of protesters going to bring weapons, guns, and other things in. So, yeah, Vanity Fair, you're wrong again. Uh, CNN, of course, upset that they didn't call it an insurrection, saying, quote, that's because searching for the full truth is, for all intents and purposes, impossible for members of the current Republican Party. If Congress wants a probe that Republicans will endorse, it will be, by design, an investigation that will not tell the full story. The uh, WAPO, more of the same. But yeah, I know. We know what the Washington Post and we know what CNN is. They're not journalists. They are nothing more than activists. And the inability to point any blame at anything but Donald Trump over this event is laughable. 
and it shows exactly why you can't trust the mainstream media, which is probably why you are listening to this podcast and others like it, because we can break down things that don't have to follow the mainstream media's narrative. And there's no question there is going to be more investigation done over what happened on January 6th. It seems that there's already been a lot done. There have been over 465 people. It appears from what I can gather through different news agencies that have been arrested and charged in connection with the events of January 6th. And it's a story I'm sure we will hear a little bit more about, but I think it's an interesting document. If you want to go read it, we can put the links in the show notes from this uh, senatorial investigation or fact-finding mission, whatever you want to call it, that uh, hopefully there will be some changes made for the security at the Capitol and for events like this, because the reality of this just seemed to be they were going by security, by obscurity more than anything else. I don't think I'm alone in thinking that there's always been a plethora of security at buildings like the Capitol, at the White House, even though you might not be able to see it, that, you know, if uh, stuff really hit the fan, that's when the security forces would jump into action. You probably can't even see them. They're there, but you can't see them. They're at stealth. But if something happened, they would be there to squash it. I think we learned at this Capitol riot on January 6th that maybe wasn't the case. They were just expecting, you know, yeah, nobody's ever going to try anything. Yeah, nobody ever has in the past. So we're fine. We're covered. And the reality of the situation was they were not. And I bet they will be moving forward. But this is a story we will follow. If there are any more breaking developments, we will surely let you know. Here at the Random Thoughts Podcast, we do work on the value for value model, which means we do these shows. There's no paywall. We put them out there. And if you got some value out of the show, it's up to you to get some value back to us in any way that you would like. A lot of people do that monetarily. You can put that into any amount you want, make it a number that means something to you and go over to Random Thoughts, R-A-N-D-U-M-B Thoughts.com slash donate where you will find the donate button, which you can do a one-time or monthly donation through PayPal. You will find our P.O. Box address if you want to go the snail mail route. And doing so is great if you use your bank's online bill pay. You can send us anything you want. You don't have to buy a stamp. The bank will write the check for you. And nobody takes a percentage on that. So we do appreciate people that go that route. And you can also find our QR codes or addresses there for the cryptocurrencies that we take, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, and probably be more added, Algo, maybe added. Somebody used that over on Grumpy Old Ben's, and Algo has a very low gas fee, which means you can send money with almost no extra added fee, which is a good thing. Less fees are better. And we do have some people to thank for today's show, including Daniel Walraven sending in $20 all the way from the Netherlands. Thank you for your support. And hopefully everything is good 
over there in the Netherlands. I was talking to my buddy Mark, who's over there as well, and he said things are starting to get back to normal. So we hope you and the family are doing well, Daniel. Coming in over on Patreon, which we have a couple people over there, patreon.com slash random thoughts, R-A-N-D-U-M-B thoughts. We have Brian Janak and Dennis Woods coming in with $5. If you're over at Patreon already, that is another alternative. If you just want to get some value our way, we don't do anything special over there as of this point, no extra content or nothing like that. It is just a way to make it easy for you to reach out to us. And coming in with $3 via check, our buddy D.E. Metis of the Fun Fact Friday and other podcasts. We will put a link in the show notes to his site, and they're worth checking out. He's been feeling a little under the weather, too. He already had Rona earlier, so hopefully, you know, it's not Rona again, because that would be nearly impossible. So we hope you're feeling better, Metis. But we appreciate everybody for supporting the Random Thoughts podcast, everybody for giving us the time to listen. It is very much appreciated. Hopefully today we brought you some news you didn't know next week. Who knows? Maybe it'll be something a little bit more lighthearted. I mean, I hope so. Be nice to get back to that kind of stuff on a regular basis. But either way, I will be back next Wednesday for another edition of the Random Thoughts podcast. Until then, I am Darren O'Neill. Thanks for listening. 